Open your Bibles, if you will, this morning to Romans. Romans chapter 3. We'll be moving from chapter 3 into chapter 4. And so uh, that's where we are this morning. We are in a series called The Beautiful Collision. Uh, we've made our way through. If you're a guest with us this morning, you're just kind of figuring out where we are. We've been making our way through Romans. Uh, and it seems like each week I come in front of you and I say, this is a really important passage that you need to hear. You, you feel like you've already heard me say that before? Yeah, it, it kind of feels like I've already said that a few times. But that's, that's just kind of the nature of this book. I mean, this, this letter is, in many ways, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the Gospels. But uh, really, this is the Gospel of Paul that is trying to clearly articulate uh, and understand for us and lead us to understand uh, really the root of the Gospel. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. And so uh, we want to have that mindset as we start this morning. So, so I understand that I am uh, a little bit of a broken record. I have to explain that. So some of you don't know what a broken record is. So a broken record, a record player will spin the record around. If there's a, is that if there's a crack or a scratch in the record, you, it gets caught, the, the needle gets drops in that groove and it goes around again and it picks up that same groove again and so you hear the same thing again. Or so I'm told because I really didn't spend that much time with a record player. But the, the neat thing is, is that it's kind of coming back. But let's say we want to go to our modern context. Uh, if I want to uh, send a message to my wife, I'll use my cell phone and I'll say, Siri, message Aaron, I want, I'll be home in 10 minutes. And Siri says, do you mean Aaron Richbart? And I say, no, message Aaron, I will be home in five minutes. Do you mean Aaron Richbart? And it goes back, so it's the same idea of like, we've been here before, Siri. No, I don't want to talk to Aaron Richbart right now. He doesn't care whether I'm going to be home in five minutes. So this, this idea that we've been here before doesn't mean that it's not important. So that message that I'm trying to get across to my wife, and, and I have to say this, the only way that Siri listens to me, they told us that Siri would learn our mannerisms, but we just learn Siri's mannerisms is what ends up happening. So I can say, Siri, message my wife that I will be home. And she doesn't say, do you mean Aaron Richbart? But it's an important message that's trying to be communicated. And just because you've been here before doesn't mean there's nothing for you today. Can you hear me there? Just because you've been in Romans chapter 3 going into Romans chapter 4 before doesn't mean that there isn't something important for you today. We believe that God's Word is the authority of all things, and so we go back to God's Word week after week after week and, and expect that there will be something, there will be a message that is clear for you and for me here today. So if you get out of your bulletin, uh, you've got a little white sheet of paper It's going to track through to be able to let you know where we are. And so we'll be moving through, and I've got a few fill-ins for you today. But really, uh, what we're kind of focusing on this morning is that works don't work. Works don't work. And so I do want to preface to say, when I say works, I'm not talking about a work ethic. I'm talking about uh, this religious term, religious religiosity of doing things to earn favor with God. And so I'm going to use works in a plural sense throughout today's message, and that's what I'm talking about, the idea that we could work harder or do more and somehow earn more favor with God. And, and we will find this passage teaches that works don't work. 
So as a baseline, to get us started there, the, the question that we could ask anyone, but I would ask you this morning, is ask this question, is heaven real? And most people will respond, yes, heaven is real. And so you can follow that question up with saying, well then, uh, are you going to be in heaven? Is your family member, in, uh, is heaven real? Yes. And now, are you going to be in heaven? And the answer generally across the board, and it doesn't matter where you're polling somebody and talking to someone, they would generally say, yes, I will be in heaven someday. Yes, heaven is real. Yes, I will be there someday. And then the third question is, how will you be there someday? And whether that person is emphatically an evangelistic believer or someone who is a nominal Christian, still their response will be somewhere in the balance of, I've lived a pretty good life. I've done these things that are positive. Look at how they balance against the negative. And so therefore, I will be in heaven someday. And it's a misunderstanding of the doctrine that we're going to be looking at this morning, that works don't work. It's, it's a misunderstanding that yes, and then in the same way, when we say uh, that uh, if, if, if uh, someone who has a different approach would say, the gospel is what saves me, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and therefore I will one day be in heaven, and so I am living my life and working on all these things, it still gets a little bit discombobulated. So let's go back again to Romans and see what the Apostle Paul was trying to teach. I'm going to go back a little bit from last week and just read a few verses from last week. So I'm back in chapter 3, verse 21, if you'll read along with me. I'm reading from the New International Version. It's the version that's in the Bibles in front of you if you're looking on there. Uh, Verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets will testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. 23 is probably what you're most familiar with. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance or foreknowledge, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate that his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so if I read those verses again, you're going to hear the words righteousness, just, or justification, or justified. You're hearing those words over and over and over. So if you're using your own Bible, mark those in. Circle and mark them. The word justified is going to come up a number of times here. And even in today's passage as we go forward, you're going to see this word. I want to explain it a little bit more. This is a tremendously important passage. Uh, The Reformation, Martin Luther, a lot of his work comes from this passage right here. And if you know, uh, we're going to get into the term uh, by faith alone is where we're going today. Uh, The terms uh, sola fide or sola scriptura would be the terms that were used then, uh, dealing with these ideas of grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone, by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. This is all being built out of these passages in Romans that we need to be understanding that, that yes, we are coming at it with new eyes today, but we are standing on strong foundational principles here. It also needs to be understood that there's debate, there's much debate, that the Reformation happens between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church uh, because there is a a break here of the idea of of where we stand with works. 
And if we zoom in too tightly, which I try not to do today, if we zoom in too tightly, we will dismiss the book of James. And we cannot do that. We cannot dismiss the book of James, which said that we have, that our faith must demonstrate itself in works. So will you stay with me here in this passage today, understanding that there are a few other things at play? Can we do that? But we want to say the main point of what's trying to be communicated here is that works don't work. So your first fill-in, and I'll take us through the verses that match with it, are works alone, your first fill-in drives self-promotion, where faith alone guides humble devotion. I'm not trying to be too cute to be able to make these things rhyme, but maybe it'll help you remember what we're working on here. Works alone drives self-promotion, faith alone guides humble devotion. The verses go like this, verse 27, 28. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works. No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, even in those two verses, if you're circling, and, and, and a lot of times you can circle a word and then draw a line to the next time you see the word, this passage is just full, chock-a-block full of some of these words that you're going to see over and over again. You're going to see the word boasting. So circle that, star that, because in a minute you're going to be able to connect it to the boasting again. You're going to see the word law. The, the word law is four times even in these two verses, how the law. So connect the word law to the word law, or the word works to the word works. Or again, you're going to see the word justify or justified. And where is this coming from? The passage that we just read that leads into this is that our God is just. He is a good judge. If, if He is presiding over the court, He is making good rulings. And so therefore, if we are sinful people, if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, how is God just in not giving us the, the condemnation that we deserve as sinners in front of God. How is that possible? How are we justifiable? Or, or how does justification work? Well, what is being clearly articulated here, and we'll go through these verses to demonstrate that, it is not by good works. We do not get ourselves in a better position by good works. Let me use this example. And Aaron hates when I use this example, but I'm going to use it again, and you've been here, some of you have been here before. In our local high school, Aaron's face is on the wall in a bronze thing. I mean, it is exciting. Yes, he's giving me that look. So I'll look this way. So we are a year apart in school. I graduated in 99, Aaron graduated in 98. So you can do the math how old we are. But she graduated in 98. She got the uh, Stephen Mavis Smith Outstanding Senior Award. And in that award, you get your face in bronze and get it on the wall, on the wall of fame. You are the outstanding senior. We were dating in high school and I was really enthralled with this girl. Uh, she was maybe not as enthralled with me, but that's not important at this uh, juncture. I thought it would be tremendous if her face in bronze was followed the next year by my face in bronze. Forever and ever, we could both be the Stephen Mavis Smith Outstanding Seniors in bronze in our local high school forever. Well, what I don't understand or didn't understand at the time is this principle, it's not by work. This, this award was not about works. 
So the fact that I joined the Junior uh, Honor Society and I got involved in the Honors English class and started doing things to try to get myself noticed was doing some work so that I could get my face on the Outstanding Senior Award. Erin was not on that wall because of her outstanding achievements, although they were fantastic. Because the reality was when you work towards something, she was recognized, as it says here in Scripture, apart from her works. She was being recognized because of who she was and who she is. And that's why her face is on bronze and why I did not achieve the bronze medal that I was going for. Because at some point, that's what happens with works. Works drives self Promotion. I was trying to promote myself to the point of bronze forever at Pioneer High School, which you can't even find the thing unless you really know where to look. But there it is. Faith alone is guided by a humble devotion. Because what happens is we get a better understanding of who God is. As he says, does that law require works? No, because the law requires faith. Faith in who God is, not on any of the things that you and I would do. We maintain that a faith is justified. <coughs> we stand in right standing before God because of our faith, not because of anything that we have done. Not because of anything we have done apart from the works of the law. And the reason why Aaron's face was bronzed was because of her humble spirit and her humble attitude. And the reason why she hates when I talk about it is because of her humble spirit. Because it wasn't what she was looking for. She wasn't mounting the campaign to put her face in bronze, which ironically is what exactly I was doing a year later. Put me in bronze. Put, come on. Apart from the works of the law. Works alone drives self-promotion. Faith alone guides humble devotion. This is true in, if you just want to step away from the church for a moment, this is what works do for us in our workplaces as well. Whether your workplace is in Geico cubicle farm type of thing, or a teacher, or you are in the military, whatever your hierarchy looks like, when you work hard and, you, and everything is about the job and about your output, it really comes down to self-promotion. When it comes down to what have I done today? What have you done for me lately? It's all about self-promotion. But when you have an understanding that you are in that context because of faith, because God has allowed you to be in that workplace, all of a sudden things start to say, I'm, I'm humbly devoted to the task at hand. I live my life here in this scenario because God has placed me here and it becomes more about a devotion to Him. Let's move on. Works alone, our next fill-in, breeds disconnection, while faith alone builds reconnection. Works alone breeds disconnection, while faith alone builds reconnection. <coughs> Verse 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God, as in there's not a God for the Jews or in a different God for the Gentiles, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith? Well, it's God. Do we then nullify the law? Do we throw it out? Do we give it up? No, not at all. Rather, we will uphold the law. 
Do we throw the law out because it was only for a specific group of people? No. He says, we, does it nullify? No. It upholds the law. You see, what works does is works divides, works disconnects. It breaks it apart. It starts to, to, to really focus on a group of people who are living in a certain way or doing a certain thing or, or whatever that is. It's all about the, the product. And what happens with faith is there's the building of reconnections because a lot of times living over here has done a lot of damage. It's done a lot of damage. A lot of disconnections have happened. A lot of breaking of relationships. A lot of damaging of interpersonal back and forth happens over here when it's all about the thing, all about the works. There's a ton of damage that is done. Where over here, faith builds reconnections because we again believe that God has formed us and, and made us uniquely to live in this uh, location and in this address and in this time of our lives right now. You realize we could all be living 100 years ago, 150 years ago. We could all be the church planting team for what is now Randall Church in 1826. We could do that. But God chose for us to be here. God chose for us to be here 200 years later. Why? Because we believe that through faith, it's our job to be part of reconnection rather than disconnection. When you use these two terms, for me, what comes into mind is maybe uh, a power shut off or a water shut off. Anyone ever lived through this where you didn't pay your bills and you got your stuff shut off? Yeah, no one's going to jump and wave, yeah, that was me. When you get it shut off, there's a disconnect that happens. You are no longer able to get the water from the source or the power from the source. So you are in the, you're living in the dark. My uncle on the family farm, he lives still on the family farm in the well that they've had for years and years and years. He's able to repair and one of the ways that repair it is actually pouring acid into the well so that the, the water, when it, it actually burns away some of the stuff and then it you know, will eventually clean itself up. And he's done that for years and years and years. And finally this year, just last week, it didn't work. Like, like it was too much, it was too long. And so that, that connect, there's no water. And on a family farm when you've got animals to feed and they're like, there's no water. And so you're carrying five gallon pails from a different area and trying to, it's a lot of work. And so this week he had two wells drilled in the middle of winter, right? I mean, he, they did it in a couple of days, two new wells drilled and the water is flowing. And now he's reconnected back to the source. So there's something about if you've ever been without water or been without power, when the reconnect happens, when it clicks back together, there's something fantastic about the reconnection. So what we see in Scripture, what we see particularly in the Old Testament, the, the examples that are being given here is when, when the disconnect happens between uh, man and God, when the division has happened between the Jews and the Gentiles or different people groups, uh, there's a beautiful thing that happens when reconnection happens. We read in the Old Testament about how the glory of God came in a cloud and it would reside in the tabernacle in this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And there were times when the Israelites would lose in battle and this Ark of the Covenant, this, this residing place of God would be taken to a foreign land and ironically in, in a foreign land, this is the enemy, the people who are housing this Ark of the Covenant are living in blessings because the glory of God has been connected into their community. Interesting, huh? 
And there's this beautiful thing, this beautiful picture that happens when the glory of God is restored back to Israel and back to God's people. And there's celebrations and and David dances before God because of the excitement that he receives when the ark is brought back to its proper place. Works alone breeds disconnection. But when we live in faith alone, we celebrate and rebuild and reconnect. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. We make more connections. We, we support it even more. We uphold the law. Here's your next fill-in. Works alone deserves a wage, where faith alone credits a gift. Works alone deserves a wage, where faith alone credits a gift. We're beginning in chapter 4 now, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner? Now, there's going to be a number of things to circle, outline, mark here, because I want you just to, if you saw those words justified, I want you to mark it again, and we're going to see the word works, and we're going to mark it again, we're going to see boasting again, and you're just going to start making lines. It's going to look kind of crazy in your Bibles, but I want you to be able to see how all of these things connect together, Okay. And so what should we say then? In fact, Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? And he quotes the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Underline those words. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, circle it, mark it. Wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, the one who does not work but trusts God justifies the ungodly. Their faith is underlined, mark it, credited as righteousness. He uses another example. David says the same thing when he speaks for the blessedness of the one whom God, what? Credits righteousness apart from works. He quotes David, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose Lord will never count or credited against them. So you see, got this credited to righteousness listed multiple times in this passage. You've got the word works shows up four times in this passage. You've got justified, just within what we just read, has shown up twice here. There's all these connections that are being made to understanding that works deserve something. Works deserve something. So in our modern context, New York state law, if you came to work for us here at Randall Church and you work for a certain number of hours this week, we are required to pay you. If you work for your employer for the next month, and at the end of the month they give you a, 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 a donut with, with cream on top of it and say thank you, you're going to take them to court. <laughs> You're upset with them. Why? Because your work deserves a wage. Do you understand that? Your work deserves a wage. When you hold up your paycheck, as if we really did this anymore because we all get it in the bank, but we hold up your paycheck and it says my name at the top of it. Why? Because I worked for these days. This is what I'm getting. This is my wage that I get for the work that I have done. And what it says here, verse 4 says, now to the one who works, Wages are not credited as a gift, no, but it's a what? Obligation. Works are not a gift. It's not because they're being nice to you. Your employer likes you, yes, but he's not giving you money because he just likes you so much. No, it's obligated. See, work alone, works alone deserve a wage. 
However, verse 5 says, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies them anyway, their faith is what? Credited as righteousness. They are getting the same credit with God. How does that make sense? The person over here who has worked, works, gets what they have coming, what is obligated to them. The person who does not work and lives an ungodly life is justified before God because it's credited, the gift is credited to their account. This process of justification is not on you and not on me. So God justifies or credits our account whether or not we are working or not. Does that make sense? He says, in fact, Abraham was justified by works. He would have had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that's what was credited to him as righteousness. Not the works that he had done, but the fact that he believed and had faith in who God was. When God came and spoke to him, and he lived his life and followed the instructions given by God, and has this covenant relationship with a holy God, different from all the other people around him, when he took those steps of faith, that was credited to him as righteousness. Blessed are those, David says, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered or credited. Blessed is the one whose sin and the Lord will never count against him or them. Brian talked last week about this word righteousness. Righteousness is being, I am in right standing before you. I am in right standing. I've paid my bills. I've paid my due. Whatever that right standing in that relationship happens to be, I'm in right standing. That's what righteousness is. But before a holy God, we learn that the wages of sin is what? Death. Our works never pay. We have to have this gift given in verse 4, credited as a gift, not as an obligation. An even more blessing, says David, the one whose sin in the Lord never counts against him because of this gift, this credit that God has given. Works alone deserve a wage. Faith alone credits a gift. Your next fill-in. Works alone will never satisfy. Faith alone will never fail. Works alone will never satisfy. Faith alone never fails. Follow along quickly. I'll be talking uh, about circumcision three or four different ways all at one time. Here it comes. You ready? Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? A compare and contrast. We've been saying that Abraham's faith was, he says, this is the argument we've been making, it was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, have not, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. 
And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but follow the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So this circumcision is a specific identity given to God's people, the Jews. Jewish men, that they were going to be identified, these were God's people. They were circumcised. And the argument that's being made here is that Father Abraham, of all of the people of Israel, that there's this unique factor that makes somebody saying his, his blessing came before that. So if he is the father of all the Jewish people, he's saying he is also the father of all the non-Jews, all the Gentiles. He's also the father of them because it was credited to him as righteousness before, I got to stand on this side, before, so you can get the, the before and after, right? The timeline, let me get this backwards so I can help you with this. Gentiles, Jews. So he's a Gentile over here. And it's credited to him here before he is circumcised and has this unique identifying factor as a Jew. Can you follow me with that? So before he was ever circumcised, before he ever had this unique identifying factor, he was indeed credited to be righteous and in right standing before the holy God because of his belief, not because of his behavior. So what ends up happening, if we understand this well, is that works will never satisfy because you will always be able to say, well, yes, you've lived this holy life here, but what about back then? Or what about farther? Or what about this? Or what about that? What about this area you haven't considered before? And you're never satisfied. But we read that faith alone will never fail. So I've told you multiple times, and I'll tell you again, I grew up on a farm. So a hard work ethic was built into really who we were as a family. I didn't have to get up every single day before school, but on the weekends I definitely did had to get up and work and milk the cows and do just the farmhand type of work was always something I would have to do on the weekends before church. Uh, I didn't really ever have a curfew Friday night or Saturday night. I just had to be at work at four o'clock in the morning. Like that was just the way that our family worked. So we got a really hard work ethic. But I'd also say that part of growing up in that context also meant that we were susceptible to a season in our church that we lived through, that I was very young, I was eight or nine years old when we went through it. There was a season in our church where we grew into this, we were led by a pastor into a very fundamental Baptist way of thinking, where things get more and more and more focused on works. What ends up happening is it never satisfies. And so what began as a, a desire to only look at one translation of the Bible suddenly became we were only supposed to dress in one way. Men and women were only supposed to dress in one way. We were only supposed to go to one type of movie or, or one type of movie we can't go to. Or just the, the line of demarcation just kept getting more and more and more and more strict. And it shouldn't be any surprise that the number of people in our church grew fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. And for me, it's a very distinct memory. Maybe this is why earlier talking about local churches and, and really being able to pray for what's going on in our local churches, because I will never forget being in a room that used to seat three, 350 people, and it was our family and one other family. The pastor was long gone at that point. That's it. And there is a certain place in my heart that says we can't allow that to happen to other churches. 
We have to do what we can to make sure that we are a body of Christ regionally that is doing better than that. But what ends up happening is that works-based living never satisfies. And specifically for our family and for me, the the drawing line for my parents, because I was young enough that I wasn't making my own decisions per se, was that the pastor's son and me were about the same age. We were playing, running around the church, and we got into a VBS closet. And we pulled out of the VBS closet Gideon Bibles, and they were the wrong translation, or so we thought. And so we took those Gideon Bibles and we took them out to the dumpster, probably 50 of them, and tore them into a thousand pieces and threw them away in the dumpster. Because they, because works never satisfy, friends. And so that for my parents, so if you imagine being a parent of a child who has gotten to the point where they are tearing up Bibles and thinking they are doing God's righteous work. For my parents, that was, the, that was the, the point, to realize, oh no, we are living a works-based life. And this was a season for not only my family, but for the church that had to be dealt with and had to be grown out of and, and really work through some of these truths that we're talking about here, is that it has to be based on something more than our works and our fundamental core beliefs, yes, but it has to be faith alone. My father climbed in that dumpster I found out later. I never understood why, never picked up on it, I don't know why. In the basement of our house, we had 50 duct tape New Testament Bibles that he had pieced together as much as he possibly could to do what he could to really make some reconnections where division and disconnection had happened. And so our family read from some duct tape Bibles for a lot of years. But that's what happens because works alone never satisfies, friends, but faith alone never fails us. Chapter 118 said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, that that faith that will drive us forward. The faith that never fails. This morning, you take out in front of you, this just is a tangible thing, and we'll close with this. Band, you can come up. The gray hymnals. Pull out the gray hymnal there this morning. Turn to page 495, hymn 495. We're not going to sing it this morning, but I want to read some words to you today. Because I think if you understand this is the, the, the core of our faith, this is what we're rooted in. And in being rooted here, we need to understand that it's not the practice It's not the works, it's not the things that we do. No, my faith has found a resting place. Not in device, not in creed. I trust the ever-living one whose wounds for me shall plead. And the author here just draws the line here. He says, I don't need any other argument. I don't need any other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me, period. Can you be there this morning, friends? Maybe that's not where you were when you came in. And, and if, you're, if you're coming in here this morning, you're just struggling a little bit with, with faith. I mean, here, just pause for a second, okay? Family, I need to talk to the family for a minute. We'll come back to you. Check in with your Twitter, check in with Instagram. We'll be back in a second, okay? Family, the worst thing that we can do as a church is be so focused on works that we miss faith. 
if we miss faith that never fails and always sustains and will always keep us here, then, then we can talk about a church that lasts 200 years, but it's all focused on the wrong things. But we will always be sustained. We will always be pushed forward. We will always have a place to find a resting place, as this hymn states. We will always have that if we will put our focus and attention on a faith in the gospel. It is the power of God. All right, check back in, those of you who checked out. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. Why? Because I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. So my heart will lean on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. He's my great physician. He heals the sick, the lost he came to save. For me, his precious blood he shed. For me, his life he gave. And that's the only argument I need. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I trust this morning that that's enough for me to say. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even those who are led in the Reformation and the, and the, the focus that comes here. This is, it is by faith alone. But it's important for us to live lives holy before you, but it's not going to change our standing before you. So if someone has been a part of this church for the last 60 years or the last six minutes, Lord, we stand equal before you because all we need is you. So if there are any this morning, Lord, who need to make that first step, say this is the first time I've ever come to an understanding of, of your word, the way that it's, it's been laid out here in Romans to be able to say, I, I, God, I just need you. And I put my faith in that and I know that the rest will follow through because of what you've shown here in scripture of the, the two examples of Abraham and David. But I pray that there'd be someone who would take that first step this morning. Others, Lord, who have been here for a very long time, They've opened this passage many, many times before. It may sound like a broken record, but Lord, let there be a new message for them to hear today. That all the other trappings must fall away. Lord, this person probably already knows this hymn, but let it ring true this morning. I need no other argument. It's enough. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We love you, Lord, and we trust that you are working in people's hearts today. Give them the boldness to respond. Lord, to, to drop a note in the offering plate, to, to say something at the back on the way out, Lord, that starts a discussion about what does it really look like to live by faith alone. We trust you for the rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.